0: Gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying time is here. That's right, we're still talking Screen 4 on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, and it's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from that little borough we like to call Woodsboro. Uh, this is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of Scream 4, and this our third volume, in the hopes that a high school student's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we might make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust that if I ask her to throw her weapon away, she'll do it even if she gets shot in the shoulder. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina?
1: Well, well that's a good question are you are you telling me this because you're going to shoot me or is it kept you to keep you from getting shot
0: you never know see they it, it, it could be either of those things it could be none of those things we don't know it's a the who done it wrapped in a question within a conundrum
1: all right well just to be sure just to be sure I'll throw the gun away.
0: Okay, well, that's all I I ask. won't like uh, it,
1: but I'll throw it away.
0: <laughs> that's right. And then upon your reveal that you're wearing a bulletproof vest, you will then flounce upon the floor as one does.
1: That, that uh, tracks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to scare you, Gina, but we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. Now, she is a writer. She's a filmmaker. She's one of the hosts of This Ends at Prom. The one, the only, BJ Colangelo. Hello, BJ.
2: Oh, hello. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so happy to have you here and take three attempts at uh, what I easily pronounced earlier as your last name and yet I have intense difficulty right now. So
2: she didn't immediately just just leave the the
0: recording.
2: As long as it's not colon jello, which is what every substitute teacher said growing up, I'm totally fine.
0: Yes, I can see going down that route. And yet I have phonetically written it out on the notes in front of me and I still fucked it up. Oh boy. Well,
2: I can give you the lesson that I used to give to my kindergarten students, which is do you like the Ninja Turtles? Mm. I'm not. Michelangelo I'm Ms. Colangelo and then boom <laughs> it sticks forever
0: <laughs> as all things with sewer turtles do because they live in the <laughs> sewer and they eat a lot of pizza so BJ I know you as a, a voice of a horror fandom and I know you your movie fandom extends beyond horror but I think i you first came attention to me with you writing uh, a lot about horror and so forth And I knew I wanted you on this podcast someday, damn it. And so (laughs) we finally wrangled you. I'm so very happy to have you here. Um, But I also know that you are a genuine fan of Scream 4.
2: I am a genuine fan of Scream 4. I like to call myself the queen of dismissed cinema because (laughs) a lot of the movies that I tend to gravitate towards are movies that other people like to shit on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes with good reason, sometimes I think people are being a little harsh, but I genuinely love Scream 4. Uh, I like to view the Scream franchise as a whole, as like undoubtedly in my opinion, by law of averages, this is, one of the best, if not the best, because even Scream 3, which plenty of people argue is the worst one because it kind of is, is still better than most of the worst of other horror franchises. <laughs> so you average it all out, Scream comes out on top.
0: And Scream, I don't think Scream 3 is where its faults are, are where it's being fucked, actively fucked with by its absolute monster of an executive producer. Absolutely. It's not the fault of the writers or the director or the actors like they're all just playing, you know, on on the on their tippy toes, trying to run over the fault lines created by a true maniac just fucking with something that's putting bread on his table. Um, and so from that standpoint, I just love the audacity of the movie itself going, oh, the person who's in charge of this. He's a monster and constantly <laughs> pointing their finger. Like for that, that alone, it's a worthy addition. It's its just not executed to the level of one, two or four, which I just feel um, are just two is a miracle. But I think four, there's just a lot more time and attention being allowed everyone with a, a minimal mo- amount of fuckery.
2: I agree completely. And Scream 4 was one that people... I don't think they know that they wanted it. And then when it happened, it definitely became like the oh good. This kind of washed a little bit of that taste out of our mouths from Scream 3. It reminds us what we love about these characters and this franchise. And it, you know, anything that's gonna put Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette back on my screen. I'm gonna throw my money at it because I love them so much. And the the core and the heart of the Scream franchise are those three characters and being able to see them in this way, I think does nothing but benefit.
0: And I think they're, they give excellent performances within these roles. They are making a meal of all the ingredients put in front of them. Uh, We've said it in the last two volumes. They're they're just at home here and it, it, it just comes across. Like I think if there's any difficulty, it's balancing Uh, those very solid performances and characters along with a lot of new, there's a lot of new interjected here. And some of those new elements don't wear as well. And that being said, I feel like the plot of this thing very much rescues any sort of mistakes made along the way. I think the plot of this is just so ahead of its time Mm-hmm. I will think a lot of people just weren't ready for the truth that was coming across in the plot of this film.
1: Yeah, I, I had a lot of... I, I kept forgetting that this movie is like 10 years old.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, definitely. If, 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 if it wasn't for the phone technology, which is ultimately... Like someone was complaining today that because the Scream 5 or 5 Cream or Scream 2022, <laughs> however you want to put it. That, uh, oh the technology on that this one person's phone is going to instantly date it. I'm like, have you watched a scream movie? Every Mm -hmm. phone is prominently displayed as being old as fuck five minutes after the movie comes out. That's just part and parcel of the franchise, everybody.
2: And something that I think is also really important to remember. And this is something we talk a lot about on my podcast. This ends up prom because our subject matter is teen movies Mm -hmm. is that teen movies or movies that are targeting a teen demographic are the only movies that we make that do not give a single fuck about whether or not they're going to be dated because they are trying to strike what is cool with that particular audience right here and right now. So they inevitably become these perfect time capsules of when they came out by the fashion, by the technology, by the lingo, by the pop culture references, the truest form of a reflection of what was quote unquote cool at the time is reflected in teen movies and scream is a teen movie, whether or not we, I mean, obviously Sydney and Gail and Dewey are definitely adults at this point, but we're still bringing in these crops of teen characters because those are the butts and seats in the theater that are paying money on date night.
0: Yeah. And as we've seen, when everyone's an adult, it just, it becomes a little bit too complicated. Whereas in college, it still worked. And obviously it starts as a high school movie. And here you have these legacy characters interacting once again with high school characters. Mm -hmm. It feels a bit more true to the DNA that Scream, you know, derives from. And why I also don't have a problem with looking at the cast of this upcoming scream in January and barely knowing anyone in it. I'm fine with that. <laughs> like I, it's one thing. Like I'm sure these a lot of these uh, actors are coming from various TV shows where somebody in the audience recognized them. I don't, we don't live in a monoculture anymore. So a lot of things falls through the cracks. And part of my job is watching television. So, I just don't care. I don't care. It's not what yeah, I'm going to the, sleep uh, for.
1: The the girl, at the beginning is, you know, be creating the the, uh, the beginning of the first movie. That's obviously someone because yeah. there are a lot of people showing a still shot. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. It's her. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's her.
2: <laughs> That's Jenna Ortega. It. And as somebody who does consume a lot of teen media, because again, I like dismissed cinema and mm-hmm. dismissed trash shows. Jenna Ortega is definitely someone to watch. She's one of those young actors right now who's sort of been bubbling under the surface where she's popping up in shows here and there. But when you look at what she's got coming down the road, she's, she's kind of going to be one of the next big things. Like I'm calling that now.
0: Yeah, I would 100% believe you. And that's kind of been the space that scream lives in and what everyone tried to replicate after it was so very, very successful is mm-hmm. let's take all these people who are just on the edge of maybe going over the top and giving them an opportunity to be in to star in a movie and really focus on them and see if they can see if they make magic on screen. Like that's what you're showing up for. It's part of the formula, everybody. And I just feel like there's just too many fucking adults just inserting themselves. Back into the I, oh,
2: narrative. I agree. Like I could co-sign that so hard that I like the pen punctures through my fingers and <laughs> I bleed all over the place. Um, because yeah, that's exactly what happens. And the thing is right now where we are culturally, we've been getting a lot of remakes and sequels and reboots and reimaginings and all of these things. And a lot of adults, don't remember or or recognize that it's not always for us Uh, we saw similar things happen with you know black christmas 2019 or the craft legacy where people saw one trailer and they were like everything's ruined it's terrible it's like it's this you're not the target demo anymore that's fine we became adults we can watch other movies it's it's yeah. not going to change anything.
1: I thought it was pretty funny when they when it was announced that they're going to be doing a reboot of The Lost Boys and they were like and people were like, "Oh, I guess they're going to make it for teenage girls." Well, I'm sorry, what was the original Lost Boys for? <laughs> right. Because I was I was 15 when that came out and that felt that movie was very much made for me.
0: Yeah. No, that movie was very much made for uh, our teenage demographic at the time look at the soundtrack look at who was cast it's absolutely aimed at that particular market and it like there as Gina you have said many times it's not like they're going to require you once you buy a ticket to destroy the copy of the original film you have in your <laughs> library
2: like, I'm sorry, you do not cast both of the Corys in a movie and then try to say that it was for anyone other than teen girls. Get out of my face.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I I, admittedly, I do. I do film writing from time to time. I tend to avoid writing about stuff that's made for a teenage audience because it's not for me. So I, I can't fairly review it. And it, it cracks me up when you see people 30, 40 years old writing stuff that's obviously made for teenagers and just talking about how they don't understand and it's so stupid and superficial. And it's like, well, to you, yeah. <laughs> but you're also not gonna have you know teenagers reviewing like Grace and Frankie or something like that because <laughs> it's not for them.
2: Right. And it's
1: okay. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you know a a to. I mean, I don't like to use the word pandering because it's but it's pandering. And and that's sometimes that's not a bad thing because it just means somebody knows what side their bread is buttered on.
2: I, I think this movie is also a great litmus test of, you know, whether or not you can admit if something is for you or not based on. Emma Roberts's character completely because she is somebody that I think when this movie came out originally, people were like, I can't believe they cast Emma Roberts. She's awful. I hate Jill. She's an awful character. And now, you know, 10 years later, people are watching it and they're like, oh, Jill's kind of a camp masterpiece. We missed this. And I'm like, yeah, you did. She is a camp masterpiece in this movie. She completely understood the assignment and she went for
0: it. I think she's slightly undercut Uh, in the movie in terms of because she can't really be centered. And essentially she is by her own admission, attempting to play the Sydney role. Uh And that's where the, a little bit of the fissures, you know, come to play with this. And, but the act we're talking about, Jill is on point from the word go. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel in the first two thirds of the film, she's a little bit at sea. Because honestly, the the a lot of the film is not pointed at her. She is not the Sydney. Sydney's still there. She shows up in a color blocked dress. Like it's exactly <laughs> what you she's, want, in She's the got
2: to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a moral imperative. And that is the one thing that I if we're doing trailer reaction time here to to the new Scream movie. It is, I didn't see one color blocking outfit. And I just need one. Just fucking one on either of those ladies. You, you give it, give it to me with Gail or you give it to me with Sydney, but I need one baby. That's all I ask.
2: So <laughs> what you're saying is that when you see scream five in the theater, you're going to turn into the Leo DiCaprio meme pointing at the screen. Once yes. you get that color block moment. Okay.
0: Color blocking pointing <laughs> loudly. So everyone can hear me on a Friday night. The oldest person in the theater. Me, baby. <laughs> so let's get right into it and uh, talk about the end of this this third act. Um, well, there's three and a half acts because there's a little addendum on the end there. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to it. Uh, but let's quickly review. We haven't done this in a while. Who's still alive at this point in the movie? Almost everybody. <laughs> um, we have Sydney. Uh, And I think the moral of the story with Sydney is, I think we can all take this on upon ourselves. Never write a book.
1: No, Don't do (laughs) it. Always a bad idea. Always a bad
0: idea. Don't write a book. Don't make a rap music video. These things are not for you. Don't do it. Uh, We also have Dewey. Uh, Now Dewey's a sheriff and he's still refusing to check around corners, even after all these years. So Give it up to Dewey, everybody. Uh, We also have Gail, who's on the bleeding edge of webcam technology, we learned last time. Uh, Of course, that webcam technology almost ends up getting her stabbed to death. We also have Charlie, who's home, but not alone. We have Deputy Jill, who I learned was supposed to be played by Lake Bell. That was absolutely new information to me. And then, of course, we have Jill Roberts' mom, Kate Roberts, who was supposed to be played by Lauren Graham. And no shade to Mary McDonald, who is a very fine actress, but I feel a little robbed that I don't have Lauren Graham in a fucking scream movie. That, that would have been fantastic. She would have been fucking great in this. Holy shit. Uh, again, no shade to the lovely Mary McDonald. I just, uh, you know, I, I have a stake in the Lauren Graham chase. Like, her her run on news radio is still my favorite. I'm that old. Uh, Robbie uh, is wandering around this movie in a powder blue members-only jacket. And yet, no one knows he's gay? I don't know. I don't know. Of course, we have Jill Roberts, the aforementioned Jill Roberts. And as of course, we learned she's a huge YouTube fan. Um, PJ, does mm-hmm. Jill strike you as a big U2 fan? Because she has a very big YouTube poster in her bedroom.
2: I really want to know what was going on in this time <laughs> when everybody assumed that we liked you two as teenagers because when this movie came out, I was 21. So I'm not a right. teenager, but I was still very young. Yeah. But then also that's the band that Liam Neeson's daughter is going to follow around Europe in Taken before she gets taken. And I remember sitting in the theater for that too and being like, no, she's not. That's not a thing we do. And I can't remember what year it was, but then there was also that time when iTunes was like, hey, surprise, we downloaded a U2 album. You can have it for free. And everyone was like, I don't want this no,
0: shit. No, th- this feels like a great violation of the trust. Yeah, that right. on this I,
2: I have to admit, I do love
1: U2, but the, I, I will I will absolutely own up to the last time they would have been considered cool would have been '90s four <laughs> it's a long time ago right so, and, like and even no then sh- even then the teens weren't really into them
2: no right it's not a shade on youtube by any stretch of the imagination it just feels like hollywood was trying to make fetch happen at that point where
0: they're like <laughs> no you're
2: all gonna like you too and i'm like i assure you i'm gonna listen to joshua tree and then i'm gonna be done but yeah. thank you for trying
0: as much as I enjoyed that one time I went to the zoo TV tour, it's not something I need to have in my bedroom wall. Right. Uh, we also uh, know that Matthew Lillard is alive uh, because he's in every party scene and every scream. Uh, also Kirby, still the reigning champion of new characters in this, uh, in the screamverse. Um, I love Kirby. I'm Same. wearing my um, bring back Kirby Reed, you cowards t-shirt that I got from <laughs> Andrew Lesane.
2: I am not wearing my Kirby Reed shirt, but I do have the Amalia, uh Kirby shirt from Poltergeist sure. and Paramore. So I'm also <laughs> on staunchly on Team Kirby. Uh, if Celebrity Deathmatch were still a show, I would want her to kick the shit out of Randy Meeks. Oh, and yes. that uh, like that is my fantasy booking.
0: <laughs> no, we are firmly Team Anti-Kirby. Rand.
2: he's the goddamn worst. Like the biggest red flag to me is anybody who identifies with Randy Beaks. Like that tells me I should never trust you with a drink.
0: I, I, 100%. Top notch, full marks. Uh, Randy is, uh, but the great question we have had over the course of our conversations about Scream is, is Randy intentionally terrible or is Randy unintentionally perfectly terrible. And that's the one thing I can't quite parse.
2: I think it's unintentionally uh, terrible because Jamie Kennedy, the human is also the same person who ended up in an anti-abortion propaganda film without realizing that it was an anti-abortion propaganda film. So I think that that's what's leaking through into Randy is I don't think Jamie Kennedy is fully understanding how awful he's being. Um so Randy also doesn't know how awful But I do he's feel like being. in Scream
0: 2 they've developed the idea of how bad he is and start leaning in that direction. But I also know they're intentionally giving him wrong information in the original Scream. So there's mm-hmm. I don't, there's something in the secret sauce there whether it was a chicken or an egg. All we know is if someone tells you that their favorite character is Randy you be on the lookout. You find better friends. You can mm-hmm. do it.
2: <laughs> and it also means that the, he probably has really basic taste and like, yeah. you can do better. Hmm. Yeah. Because, you know,
1: someone, someone who like someone who relates to Randy is someone who's constantly complaining about remakes. <laughs> right. Oh
2: yeah. They're the person who's currently voting up Ghostbusters four without having seen it.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: <sighs> I, I have an 11 year old and I'm still not gonna sit through that fucking thing. No fucking way. Like I'm <laughs> listen, making a kids adventure movie is not the worst idea in the world. I'm all fucking for it, but I'm not sure I can take a Ghostbusters that's not funny in I'm getting that vibe. Yes. Anyways, it's a movie I haven't seen. What would I fucking know? Also not, you know, last but last is Trevor, um someone I believe appears in this film. I think I'm unconvinced. (laughs) He's there. Yeah. Trevor is
2: also present.
0: I mean, I can't see through him, so he's not a ghost. Uh, So I'm assuming he's alive. Uh, So let us uh, return to the action uh, with one of the Holy Trinity down. Uh, Gail has been stabbed. Uh, And Sydney uh, is in uh, the uh, house, uh, the Roberts home, uh, under what she believes is sheriff protection. But as we learned in the last episode, uh, those guys be dead. They're dead. Old. Fuck right
2: Bruce Willis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is like really fucking gory how he dies. <laughs> I know it's the second episode in a row, but it's impossible how he dies, but also it's viscerally entertaining because you just don't see a lot of people stabbed through the forehead.
2: Yeah. And it, it just, it goes on for quite some time. <laughs> it really does. Yeah.
1: I, I just, again, I, I wonder, you know, if it's uh, either because, you know, I will spoil it by say there are two killers like the like the first movie. And which one mm-hmm. of them has that, that massive forearm strength it takes to just drive a <laughs> knife into someone's forehead?
0: Yeah. Not since Jason Voorhe- the the Voorhees family forearm strength that we saw throughout the early run of those films. Have we seen someone? I mean, and at one point, uh, Ghostface has a door closed on his forehead or her. I'm not sure who's under the costume at that point. That person doesn't even drop the knife. Like the forearms on these two, who look like skinny minis, uh, are really developed to punishment.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, I do appreciate the the sort of almost running gag of that when you put on the ghostface costume, you're basically invincible. <laughs>
0: It's an it's an adrenaline machine.
1: You have like a bulletproof vest. You have like some sort of metal plate over your head. Just just nothing phases you when you're wearing that costume.
0: Absolutely true. Um, and at, and and uh, Kate uh, Roberts uh, states that she still ha- she brings home groceries, and she goes, I, "I I still have another bag in the car, and I'll be right back." And Sydney goes, she like zeroes in on that statement. with a laser focus, which I enjoyed. Um, And it turns out that Ghostface is just right out the door and they see this in the reflection of the glass in a wind chime, which I think is a a very cool shot. Um, Sydney and Kate try to contact Jill. Uh, That goes nowhere, straight to voicemail. And then they're trying to escape Ghostface on the first floor of this household. And uh, we have the forearm door mechanics happening. And then Kate, uh, while wedged against the door and the sort of foyer, uh, gets uh, a knife through the back of her spine, which for the second episode in a row, baby, we're back. Get bunked. It's happening. (laughs) Now, BJ, you may not be familiar with this, but we have a little tradition. When someone is killed through another object, from the first Friday the 13th, we denote it a get bunked.
2: Oh, I listen to your show. Oh, well. I know what things mean.
0: You and the guy who served me uh, uh, cider this week. Two people have heard of this show.
2: <laughs> That's going to take me exciting. through the whole,
1: weekend, whole rest of the week. I'm just going to be coasting in the office tomorrow. Pe- people listen to our show.
2: <laughs> yeah, I definitely like uh Kate's Kate's death too because I forget that doors exist with mail slots. Like that right. just seems like such an old-timey thing. It's like when people have door knockers instead of a doorbell. I'm like, I don't know what year this is, but that's a fancy door and I like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a it's a real re- well, I all the houses. In the, in the Woodsboro area are so cool. Like, everyone's got a wraparound porch. Like, what is this neighborhood? It, the central coast of California, baby. I'll never be rich enough.
1: Yeah, I guess that explains why nobody ever leaves town, even though there's constantly murders taking place. I mean, <laughs> just, just the, the real estate is just gorgeous. It's totally worth it.
2: They all well, have that- beautiful views, and yet yeah, the wraparound deck, like, that's really, like, the height of luxury if Mm. you have a house. I feel that way about the house and like 10 things I hate about you, which I think is Pacific Northwest, but same thing where you like, you see this house and it's like, I'm, I'm from the Midwest, like Rust Belt Midwest, where people have a deck and it is a platform made of cement that just happens to be connected to stairs that go to your house. Like it's not an actual porch, but you see this and I'm like, oh, there's like a corner you can lean on and everything's got really beautiful, like wood. What is this? (laughs) (laughs)
0: they're just gorgeous uh just beautiful beautiful homes they're and they're using them to their maximum capacity and yet i don't think this was filmed actually in the the original scream town i think this was filmed in north carolina or am i it's somewhere back east it's not the in actual california but they find these homes that are woodsboro and Mm -hmm. they just you instantly accept that house is in woodsboro
2: yeah very much so
0: uh, so, one, Kate is down for the count. Uh, she's probably not recovering from this uh, fatal wound. Uh, but Sydney realizes that Jill is still in danger, and the only person who knows it right now is her. So, even when Deputy Jill Hicks arrives uh, out of the shadows yet again, uh, I know they're trying to make her a red herring, and I wish I just I wish they had gone. One step further, this is where I kind of wonder would the Lake Bell version of this read more sinister? Or I
2: okay, yes. I agree with you on this because Deputy Judy for me, because it's Marley Shelton, specifically mm-hmm. because it's Marley Shelton, I can't look at Marley Shelton and think that she's sinister because <laughs> she's in sugar and spice, and like it I am so used to her being. Beautiful girl next door, full of bubbles. And I mean, WD Judy's, she makes lemon bars. Yeah. There's nothing about her to me that reads sinister, whereas Lake Bell has a little bit deeper of a register with her voice. She also has like Deputy Judy's faces, like her features are so rounded that Mm -hmm. everything looks eternally optimistic, which is something I love about Marley Shelton. But Lake Bell's features, um, they're a little bit more angular, which means if you tilt your head down in just the right way, you can look very sinister. So Deputy Judy as a red herring, I think would work better if it were Lake Bell. But I also am very right or, or die for just how effortlessly cute um, really sure. Sheldon is. Where yeah. I'm like, I don't buy you as this red herring at all, but you're adorable and I love you and I'm happy you're here. Well, and I, you
0: know, it's very hard to sell Dewey in the first film as a red herring. Like they, right. they try, they they aim for it a little bit because you don't, because you have no frame of reference for how the who it in a Scream film will work. Mm-hmm. So... I can see them using that as the possibility of, well, we haven't done this kind of thing before. You know, it might've worked. She might've been a good second um, because she has a motive, but yeah. Um, But once deputy Hicks shows up, Sid's just out the door in mom's caddy, which is a boat of a fucking vehicle. That (laughs) caddy is huge um and uh, she's off to go rescue jill um so let's cut to kirby's house this is the first time we've been in kirby's house it will be the last time i maybe <laughs> i don't know i <laughs> hope not but it's very possible this is where our real third act begins here we have a small pared down version of the classic screen gathering we have kirby jill charlie and robbie there's a lot of y sounds Robbie, Charlie, Kirby. There's a lot of Y sounds going on there. Uh, But they've all gathered post-Stabathon. And this is where we have a scene in which Kirby and Charlie flirt via Gunnar Hansen, which is probably the only time on earth that has ever happened.
2: It's quite romantic. And I got to say, it's I have been on the receiving end of a Gunnar Hansen flirt. Um, because uh, I'm a pancreatic cancer survivor. Gunnar Hansen huh? Is not. Um, oh. And someone once tried to relate to me when I was talking about that. They were like, oh, like Gunnar Hansen. And I'm like, that's a weird thing to say. He died, bro. Like, oh, no. I don't know if this was getting across the way you thought it was. Oh,
0: no, that's that. Uh, oh, Mm, that's a real swing and a miss. Peter.
2: Yep, yep. Uh, also, it was a man and I don't like men. So
0: <laughs> there were a lot,
2: they were not even just up the wrong tree, just in the wrong forest.
0: Uh, even if you were teetering, that wasn't going to bring you over to the other side. No, uh, no, no, no. No. Uh, in And in interrupting this uh, kiss that they have, which seems very innocent and unpredictable but you know it's the end of school they just kind of were in a place where someone was almost stabbed to death so you know crazy things are about to happen uh trevor arrives thank god trevor is here
2: just a king (laughs) douche of a
0: person but i i i think i need i think i need trevor to be a bigger douche and i can prognosticate why he uh Trevor is not being portrayed in that manner, and I'm trying not to misgender uh, the act, the actor portraying Trevor. So it's sometimes I, I get this mixed up, but they're going for they're going for Billy, and they're not connecting to that. So I need a different level. And if he's just kind of a dick guy in high school, um, yes, okay. But this is a Scream movie. I might need something a little bit more, especially if they're going to be portrayed as a red herring. I just don't have another level from Trevor here for the third episode in a row. And I wish I did.
1: I think my main problem with Trevor is that, um, for one thing, they, they lack Billy Smolder. Yeah. Um, mostly he just, he, I, mean, I think this, this brief sequence is the most he actually says in the entire, the, 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 the most consecutively he speaks in the entire mm-hmm. movie. And before he's just sort of scowling and, and looking vaguely menacing. Now he sort of, now they sort of come off as kind of a, just like a douchebag. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and not all douchebags are menacing. They're mostly just annoying yeah. Um, I also don't really buy that. And then to spoil the twist in the movie, one one of the ghost faces is um, is uh, Emma Roberts, and she tells him. And uh, to be fair, we don't really know how how angry uh, we we don't know how angry she actually is, and how much this is actually if this is actually true. But she is so angry th- at him for cheating on her. That she's going to pin a series of murders on him, <laughs> and I just I'm like that guy. He's going to get you that angry over over cheating uh, cheating on you.
0: Hmm? Okay, amongst us.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I not that not that you know any level is acceptable enough to pin murders on someone, <laughs> but but still, I, I don't get that they would have had you know such a you know, he did did wonderful relationship that, you know, it just destroyed her mentally when he cheated on her.
2: The way that I've always viewed it, and I also think that you're totally right, and I don't think that Nico themselves would be upset by me saying this, but they, as a performer, really kind of found their ground when they were on The Following, which is two years after this movie. So I do think that scream for the reason that this Trevor character doesn't read is I also just think that Nico was still trying to find their, their footing as an actor. Um, So I, I think that's part of it. As far as the, the Jill Trevor thing, I don't think that Trevor, hurt Jill to the point where she's like, I'm going to do this. I think Jill is just so offended by the audacity that anyone would step to her because she is clearly her own biggest fan. She smells her own farts. And if you are the person who's going to, you know, disobey her or like make her look bad in any way, shape or form, like you have to die.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think that's a, a, a better take on it. Um uh It just, um, Yeah. I know
2: way too many girls that I went to school with who they like it'd be one of those things where, oh, I don't like this guy. I'm going to break up with him. And then they go to break up with him and the guy breaks up first. And they're like, can you believe this asshole? He broke (laughs) up with me. Like, you were going to dump him anyway. But I didn't, I don't get dumped. Like, that's the energy (laughs) I think Jill has around Trevor. And because she's so desperate to be famous, yeah, she's going to pin murder on this guy.
0: Yeah. Well. You know, he's a warm body. I, I think it'll work. Um, it, well, she thinks it'll work anyways. Uh, but let's get to one of my favorite details I've found in Scream Fart so far. And that is in Kirby's Kitchen Island, she has this um, display of various boozes and one two liter of Mountain Dew. Now, <laughs> that I is high many-
2: school <laughs> cocktail mixing to a tee. <laughs>
0: But I just want to warn young people, Mountain Dew is not a mixer, okay? You can do better. I, I promise you there are better mixers. Find ginger ale. It works with almost everything. Don't mix Mountain Dew with alcohol. There's a lot of chemicals in there, and that combination, you will end up doing bad things. You will make bad, bad choices. I'm just Get telling you right
2: sprite. now. Get There's no caffeine in it, because if you right. use too much Mountain Dew you might make pre band for Loco and there's a reason that it's banned.
0: <laughs> I agree 100%. So uh, who is not drinking this, this mixture is Robbie. He's going straight to Kayla. Um, he's getting drunk. He is wearing that aforementioned powder blue members only jacket for reasons and wanders outside the party fully aware that he's That people are dying. At this point, when you just wander outside, you're kind of like on the edge of asking for it. Um, And uh, he notices through the window that Kirby and Charlie are about to make out. And he refers to Charlie as, yes, my Charlie. And I'm wondering if we're intentionally revisiting... The queer coding of Billy and Stew, or this is simply an affectation for his friend? I'm not sure.
2: I think little column A, little column B.
0: I can believe that. It's a bit of a Chinese menu, if you will. You can get whichever you want, and there's really no wrong answer. Um, Robbie bonks his head into a, a hanging plant, which is something you can have when a, you have a bitch and wrap around. Uh, <laughs> Uh, porch and uh he puts his head cam on backwards once again this film really wants to do a lot of rear window-esque sequences i i do wish that this sort of happens more successfully i i want uh a sequence in here that even approaches anything in scream 2 in terms of suspense sequences and i'm not entirely sure if that was by design not to do a big one or they just really didn't have the time or money to accomplish it i'm not sure which it is
2: i also think there might be a little bit of just the way that horror and slashers in particular kind of evolved past Mm. scream 2 because again you know talking about targeting those teen audiences movies for teens these days, especially horror movies are so snappy. There's not a lot of build. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, wait a while and get really nice payoff. It is just boom, 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 boom. We're going to go as quickly as you're going to refresh a feed. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of different elements at play here in terms of the, the, the lack of suspense, I guess in this movie.
0: Yeah. And I think I can deal with a lack of suspense, but I would like one of those big Craven suspense sequences. I think that would, if he had one of those that, that rose to the scream two level, I think the reputation of this would not have been as severe at the time. Um, That people sort of felt a little underwhelmed by various elements of it. It's only grown on me. I think I, I, I was like, solid BB plus and it's grown on me over the years. Um, I I just, I, there's a lot of setups for it. And this is another setup where he, he doesn't realize the cameras on backwards. Then you, the person who can see the device in his hand would know that Ghostface is behind him. It seems to be leading up to that kind of sequence. And then it doesn't quite happen. Or this is just too much of a repeat of what happens to Gail in the barn. At mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's my main beef with it is that it's just the exact same setup with Gale, but through a different mode instead of it being in the hand, it's on the back of the head.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then... Really, ultimately, this kind of has a, a minor uh, misdirection in that we're focused on the camera and then the door opens and ghost faces right there. And Robbie uh, makes a very poor attempt at running away. Um, and <laughs> after being stabbed a couple times, lying on the ground, um, he tries to pull his Randy rule out that he proposed at the Woodsboro Cinema Club. That the only way to survive a modern horror movie is to be gay, which we all know with the barrier gaze trope is really not something anyone would adhere to. Uh, quite the opposite. And unfortunately, he meets his end with another couple stabs to the gut.
2: Welcome to the 85% rule, my dude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Jill retrieves her phone from upstairs and claims not to have been the one who sent Trevor the text to bring him over to, uh, Kirby's house. Uh, Sid then finally arrives, uh, and right as she is trying to convey to Jill and Kirby that they are all in danger, Robbie, still miraculously alive but bleeding out heavily, gives a dire warning that Ghostface is here, And then Ghostface chases everybody up to Kirby's room, and you know what that means, people? It's time to talk about the posters in a teenager's bedroom. That's right. Here we go. (laughs) We got a rear window poster. Just in case you thought I was making it up for the past two volumes, nope. This it's a real sticking point here. We're we're really trying to leave in rear window
1: prominently displayed. Prominently Prominently displayed.
0: Uh, not so much coming to the forefront is Tremors. There's not a lot of Tremors influences, but it's still a poster on the wall.
2: I love it though. I'm glad (laughs) it's there. Justice for Tremors. My (laughs) wife has a Graboid tattooed on my leg. I felt like if I didn't chime in and talk about Tremors, then like I would be a bad wife.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe that at all. And that is fucking awesome. Uh, We also have an ad bill uh, for something called Glam Rock Shamrock Bang. Um, that
1: sounds amazing. I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know I what don't it is, it, but that sounds I, amazing. I want
0: to go. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot better than that ad bill for the the, the two main DeLoreans that we never quite understood. What <laughs> for. Uh, we also have an ad bill for the Gorgor Girls, um, a Nosferatu poster, and a creature from the Black Lagoon. So a lot of good taste in Kirby's room. Jill... That's a person, again, looking at those posters, you're kind of like, might be stabby. That might be a stabby (laughs) person. So uh, Sid Sid sends Jill under the bed and attempts to lure Ghostface onto the second story roof so that Jill might be safe. Because that sounds like a good idea at the time. Uh, And Sid, using a phone that still has physical push buttons by the look and sound of it. Uh, contacts Dewey and says, get over to Kirby's house. We're under attack. Um, meanwhile, uh, Ghostface goes back inside, not to be deterred or delayed, because honestly, why should he? Uh, he's going to reconnoitre with the other ghost who's under the bed. Of course, we the audience don't know this yet. Um Kirby and Sid then venture downstairs into what appears to be a basement area, which is uncommon in California, not a lot of basements, but this is a very affluent uh, little house, so why why the hell not? Uh, And this is where Charlie appears just outside that basement access window with blood on his hand. He claims he was trying to help Robbie, but we don't know the truth, and Sid lays it on the line with Kirby, if you don't trust him, do not open the door and she's like mm, kind of don't trust you.
1: yeah that's a, that's a that's a surprisingly affecting scene and then you know and, you know of course it you know, goes even harder when you don't actually know the twist
0: right <laughs> yes i mean the first time you see it like oh yeah she i guess he's not necessarily trustworthy and in that situation that's a really hard fucking decision to make like there's a real moral quandary and i feel like that isn't always the way scream goes but i think it's the best way that scream goes when it puts its characters in tough situations where they have to make decisions between bad and worse
1: Mm -hmm. yeah you should probably assume that 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 sid knows what she's talking about in these situations (laughs) that that if she is trying to help you avoid getting stabbed to death she is probably an expert opinion in such matters
0: yes uh but they're they're not given a lot of time to weigh that decision because the lights go out and when they come back up charlie is tied to a chair casey's boyfriend style
2: Someone's about to get gut like a fish.
0: <laughs> now, in the quizzing of Kirby on the phone, she's asked a question of what movie began the slasher film craze. And Ghostface proposes that is it is, in truth, peeping Tom. Now, I'm going to open it up to the crew. I'm not going to say definitively, but... Peeping Tom, as good a film as it is and as interesting a film it is, and I think it is definitively creepy and weird and disquieting, um, it came out the same year as Psycho. And Psycho was a smash hit. And Peeping Tom is a film that essentially nearly killed its director's career. So while it absolutely started the killer POV, I don't view it as the start of the slasher. It is a great proto slasher, whereas Psycho has more of the tropes we associate with the slasher film, especially as it is given rise to. And it's also a bit of a whodunit if you had just gone into it blind. But I will open that to the room.
1: Um, I, I think that peeping Tom, I will agree with you. I think that, 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 that you mentioning peeping Tom is a little bit of, you know, you know, pretentious film buff. Like it's a bit the,
0: of a pendant. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I, I, you know, I think that's another sort of red herring as to, you know, who might be responsible for these things.
0: Mm-hmm. A little bit of a randy thing. Like yeah. both, both the films have the DNA that leads to things like black Christmas, like Halloween but I would say that psycho is the thing that predominantly lingers in the popular culture. And therefore when Carpenter is, you know, lining up what Halloween will become, I think he's aiming more for, you know, an unforget like a force of nature. He's always described Michael Myers as a force of nature. So in that way, It's certainly not following the exact model of either Peeping Tom or Psycho. It's kind of its own unique mix. It's not the first one to the table, but then again, it's the one that overwhelms it in everyone's mind. And then Friday the 13th sort of cements it, as it were.
2: Yeah, I I never even go as far back as Peeping Tom or Psycho when talking about kind of slasher origins because Mm -hmm. while I agree the DNA is absolutely there Uh, Psycho to me has never been a slasher film It, it is also it is way more of a uh, cross-dressing killer film, which leads to things like dress to Kill and right. things of that vein. That is that is the DNA that is far more prominent culturally. Um, and then when we talk about slashers, I tend to start at Black Christmas because while, yes, it's absolutely influenced by a film like Psycho, it does something completely different with that DNA mm-hmm. and that births what becomes the slasher. Like if we're taking parental influences here, psycho feels kind of like a dad black Christmas feels like a mom and that gives birth Mm. to Halloween but that's the first child they're doing something really new here we haven't really solidified a formula we don't really know how to parent this kid and then Friday the 13th happens and then it's like oh second kid we know what we're doing here we've got it down to a science we're good and then everything has moved forward from there so yeah I think I think peeping Tom's the randy answer I think that Psycho is the well, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Yeah, no shit. Yes, of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> if we're splitting hairs. Yes, yeah. it is a slasher film, but Black Christmas and Halloween, like that, that is what starts. That is what starts the craze that we are now into. Like really? everything can be rooted back to those two movies. Where I think slashers today, like it's a stretch to to root them that far back. Um That is just my push pushing a pipster nerd glasses uh answer.
0: <laughs> no. I- I I think this is a good conversation to have considering what's, what's put forward here. And I would also say like the one thing that Halloween doesn't deliver Halloween's a a magic show. It's not really delivering what Friday the 13th sort of slaps on the table, which is not only will there be a person murdering a bunch of people, but you don't know who it is. It could be any one of these people. And also you're going to see a hatchet in someone's face. And (laughs) at that point, moment you didn't see a lot of hatchets to the face like it's just not something that's super prevalent even Texas Chainsaw is a magic show Alien is a magic show you're not with the exception of a sequence with an alien you're not seeing a lot of you know things protruding out of bodies it's a lot of cutting away when the alien goes ah welcome to my corridor Um. so all these things build up and then when everyone goes, oh, Friday the 13th, Halloween, these movies are, I, in my opinion, easy to make. And then now you're off to the races with people making a version of it and a version of it and a version of it.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: So let us get back to the action. We have an excellent list that Kirby rattles off of remakes. Um, and this just combobulates the system. She's the only one on record to ever win a call with ghost face, which also elevates <laughs> the coolness of her character. Um, and uh, whether or not she won or the person just put down the phone, like they're going to talk for 30 seconds. Now I can put on my ghost face costume. <laughs> it doesn't much matter because uh, once that call is over, she races out to get Charlie out of this predicament. And she chooses incorrectly because Charlie Then laments, why did you wait so long to kiss me? Which is a real fucking thing. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. That that scene is really uncomfortable. And I feel
0: like one of the things that Scream does well is show how shitty guys can be. Like occasionally you'll have a guy who isn't that. But this is a real why didn't you uh, consider my penis moment, Gina? And (laughs) I... See what happens when you don't
1: consider my penis?
0: I stab you. That is is the fear that women live with. Why am I telling two women? I don't know uh, who would automatically be aware of their surroundings and their predicament and life and the patriarchy we live in, but I just need to say (laughs) it out loud for those who might not have gotten.
2: And this also goes back to the point you made earlier about how Scream 4 feels very ahead of its time. This movie is three years before Elliot Rodger when we finally started having these conversations about incels and manifestos and all of that bullshit. So it's really terrifying in that way where it's like, wow, you really nailed it there, Kevin Williamson. You knew what, (laughs) what we were facing up against and what was going to become so prominent and prevalent yeah. in a way that is so uncomfortable. Um, and I hate that it's a Culkin that's doing it. Oh, it hurts my soul. Cause I love them. I love that family. I want nothing but the best for them. And that scene just rips my heart out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> He he has such beautifully floppy hair, and you just you you want to snuggle up with him on a Saturday night. Not see him stab people, but I think that's kind of what they were holding on to there as a as a way to to really get your audience. Um, and so now Charlie's out. Uh, we know at least one of our assailants, uh, but when he enters the kitchen uh, and he's bloody all over, Sid knows something is up. But then again. We also have another ghost face there, and our reveal number two is the one and only Jill. And this is how Jill explains her plan. She and Charlie have filmed all the murders and have set up her shitty boyfriend, Trevor, as the fall guy. (laughs) And to punctuate this, Jill shoots Trevor in the dick. (laughs) And not to belabor a point, but I think this might be the ultimate scream answer to have you considered my penis syndrome
1: that i have and felt it lacking
2: <laughs> it didn't make her famous so it has to go
0: it didn't do anything for her but what caused her harm and so bye-bye and um i i think his squeals are probably uh, their best moment of acting In this, Uh, but it doesn't act long because then Trevor takes uh, a single bullet to the head and uh, he's out of it. Now, Charlie then moves the body, which I think is a real bad move. Once somebody's shot and you're trying to project that you weren't part of the crime, don't start moving the body around.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. As is, you know, much like Mickey in part two. I don't know if they thought this
2: entirely through. (laughs) Sure, yeah. I think those are the reveals of like, don't forget they're fucking teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) True crime podcasts are not a thing yet. They don't know these rules.
0: That's true. They would have gotten to it eventually if they had listened to the Murdoch murders or something like that. Um, So uh, Charlie then gears up uh, for his sort of stew moment here where he's going to take some damage so that he can accurately portray one of the survivors of a scream slash stab style movie. Um, But he gets a real double cross here when Jill goes straight for the heart. Not a lot of suspense.
2: I don't know how he didn't see this coming. Like, that's my whole thing. This is when I'm like, oh, you poor stupid boy. (laughs) Because (laughs) everything about Jill's personality when she starts delivering her reasoning and she's been very much in bad bitch mode, This is a conversation she's clearly had with him before. There are so many red flags here. How did this go? Like, how did this go beyond you?
0: Once you, I mean, that's the sort of thing with the Scream movies. Once you start stabbing, it just, it becomes like something you just got to do. Like you just get as Debbie Salt, uh, God bless her soul, uh, before she is revealed to be uh, Billy's mom. Uh, Says, you know, once I started stabbing, I got a little crazy, you know, (laughs) it's just something that happens to people. And all of your rational planning thoughts kind of go out the window. This is uh, after that, uh, Jill then reveals uh, in a way her actual plan. And that is uh, that she doesn't need friends. She needs fans. And I think if you were to replace the word fans with followers this is absolutely the most prescient line in Scream history.
2: It is yeah. on the level to me as like, this is not RuPaul's best friend race or like <laughs> every reality star of like, I'm not here to make friends. Like, Oh my God, it is so perfect. And exactly mm-hmm. what that character would believe. It's honestly my favorite line in the entire movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with you. It's, it is why like at the, I think at the time there might've been a reaction to um, original Scream fans, people who had been a part of that original trilogy and it meant so much to them that that idea did not connect with their now adult brains. But once again, we're not talking about adult brains. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a teenager, one who is grown up with more internet than you have and has seen what has come across on her feed throughout her early life, which, and I hate to put Paris Hilton on this sort of pedestal, but the popular conception of Paris Hilton at that moment in time was here was a person who was without talent, who had gotten where she was because of her name, because of how she looked, and a sex tape. And that's all it took. And that idea took hold to the point where in someone like Jill's head, um, well, I don't want to do, I don't have a name outside of being related to Sydney Prescott. So, okay, I have a bit of a hold there. I'm not rich, so that's not going to help. And who wants to do a sex tape when you can survive a Woodsboro stabbing massacre?
2: I think it also didn't click with people in 2011 because the idea of influencers or internet personas were still in its infancy. There were obviously a couple breakthrough people, um, but I think people were like, oh, this is a fad. This is never going to last. Like It's kind of cringy when kids aspire to do this. But now in 2021, where you can be the most popular person on TikTok and then get a three-picture deal with Netflix like right. there is so much power to it and um before the pandemic i was a teacher and my students frequently would write on their things of like what do you want to be when you grow up i want to be a twitch streamer i want to be a youtuber i want to be a tiktok star like these are legitimate goals that children now have and i don't think a lot of older audiences can wrap their head around it yeah. because it's so new to them. And also like as an adult, you understand kind of the numbers game of like how hard that's going to be, but it's no different than when you're a kid and you're like, I'm going to be the president. Like that's also a numbers game more than likely you're fucking not, but you know, you don't want to have that conversation with a kid and crush their dreams, but because this influencer thing is so new. We have no problem being like, that's not real. Get a real job to kids. Um, But yeah, that's, that's, I think now why so many people are like, this makes way more sense and why this movie has sort of stood the test of time because it's more relevant now than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. That's a remarkable thing.
0: Yeah. And you also have, um, it's just, we've all become so much more steeped in this. And I have a hard time believing that anyone on team gone girl, saw the end of this movie and go, well, I don't know. I'm not sure I enjoy the execution of that, but I could add a couple twists to that. And I think I can make this work. It's just, it's so ahead of its time, but it had its finger on the pulse and people just didn't quite recognize what this film in particular was going for, what it was trying to deliver message wise was just outside the scope of who decided to see it. And it set the conversation about it off on the wrong end. And if it had been a little bit different, if it had been a little bit later, it might, it might've struck more of the intended nerve, but it's also not gone away. And I think it's only its reputation has only risen year after year, after year, after the fact beyond that first impression.
2: Agree wholeheartedly.
0: Um, I really enjoy the path of destruction that Jill plows through after she stabs Sydney. Um, <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's hard that hard to watch. <laughs> she's really pra- She's really kind of thought this out. All right, I'm going to put DNA under the nails. I'm going to put hair in my head. I'm going to wipe off my blood on the knife or my fingerprints off the knife. I'm going to make sure that knife goes into my shoulders. So I have a, a real stab wound. I'm going to run headlong into this picture. I'm going to do a full body slam into this glass table. Like that. You're that's a dedication point. She knows what she needs to do to get to the believability point. And she actually fucking achieves it. And then she ends on the floor
2: facing Sydney hand in hand. It is so poetic and so crafted. Uh, Brilliant. It's camp masterpiece.
0: Yes and we learn not only in the aftermath of this exact incident but and in the entire end of the movie is that her plan worked her plan worked everybody mm-hmm. she's if 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 Sydney had actually died she would have sailed out of this fucking thing and then what the the question then becomes if Sydney had in fact died what would scream 5 look like because that's an interesting question that we will never know the answer to
2: gail and dewey team up and kill her that's what (laughs) i think it would have been
0: yes uh and and (laughs) we're leading up to what i think was one of my favorite gail moments in this entire thing but you gotta love when they finally end up in the hospital and dewey is having a little tete-a-tete with jill and and tells her, Oh yeah. Sydney is it's real touch and go, but she's still alive right now. And you feel the tension in the room, just go lock in. (laughs) And I think that's really effective moment. Like I don't want Jill to win, but I absolutely feel her need to like, fuck, what do I do now? (laughs) (laughs) It is palpable. Um, And then he goes back to Gail's room and she's like, how is she doing? She's like, Oh, you know, she says, like, maybe you two should write a book. And, you know, you're having so much in common. You have matching injuries. And she's like, how the fuck does she know where I was stabbed? She figures it out like that. That's Gail Weathers, everybody. Mm -hmm. That's the Gail Weathers I know and love.
2: Unfuckwithable Gail Weathers. (laughs)
0: Like, yes, maybe not the most pleasant personality in the entire world, but it's not due to the fact that she isn't a smart fucking cookie.
2: It's because she's surrounded by doofuses. (laughs) I love the city of Woodsboro. There's a bunch of doofuses there and many of them are in positions of power, including her lovable doofable husband.
0: But they're attractive doofuses. Like what's in the water in Woodsboro that makes people so hot and so dumb at the same time?
2: Just a lot of hot girl juice in the water of Woodsboro (laughs) for sure.
0: I mean, when you got moms like Mary McDonald running around town, like, of course, these people are hot, but you don't, that can't explain the dumb level of it, too. But ah, what can you do? It's a hell of a town. Um, So uh, this leads to uh, Jill, uh, you know, taking off all of her medical equipment and shuffling her ass all the way to Sydney's room, who wakes up immediately and. Jill's like, God damn it. I was so close. Why didn't you just die already? And this is one of the things I noticed uh, and I've noticed in the other parts, but I never brought it up. But I have a note for it in every single volume and that is the sound design of this movie is very interested in how guts sound when they're being stabbed into or crunched. Yes. It's uh, a real high point. (laughs) <laughs> Very visceral.
2: I think I don't know which movie it is, but one of them has my favorite audio subtitle, which is Squelching. Um, <laughs> you get squelching in these movies when you you stab the guts.
0: Yes. I also think that it helps that this is the one scream movie, at least so far, that's sort of free to be as blood filled as it wants to be. You know, the other ones were kind of hacked to there's there there there's a death of a thousand cuts by the MPAA and here they're just kind of allowed to go hog wild uh and it really works to the film's advantage
2: oh yeah we're in a post-saw world like go big or go home at this point
0: yes absolutely and like as we've said before like there's so much worse being shown on cable television in 2011 (laughs) so oh yeah yeah there's just no way you can get around this and just two years later our beloved hannibal will come to the forefront and just be the goriest shit on network television that will ever be <laughs> we love you our saint brian uh but let's us get back to screen for um uh do we have a, a real hand-to-hand thing going on here uh And everyone gets in on the action. Uh, Dewey, once again, not checking his six, gets clocked in the fucking head by a bedpan. Uh, And then uh, it looks like Gail's going to get it. And she's rescued by Deputy Jill, who (laughs) just pulls a real Prince of Darkness and just shovels her right over a bed with her with her.
1: (laughs) Uh,
0: And uh, then at a certain point, there's a bit... you know, there's a bit of tete-a-tete of whether or not Jill should give up her weapon because Jill has Dewey's head in her sights with her own gun. Uh, Jill gives up the weapon and takes a shot to the shoulder for her trouble. Don't worry, folks. She's wearing a vest. Uh, but uh, Gail then tries to sort of keep Jill's attention as Sydney slowly gets up and preps a defibrillator to zap Jill's brain with it. That'll, and That'll do it. <laughs> that should do it is my my request here
2: yeah it's like putting somebody in a microwave
0: really and that should be your denouement i know that traditionally we like to shoot our scream villains i get it i just don't know that shooting her through the heart is that much better than getting defibrillated to the head you know what i mean yeah,
1: she shouldn't. I, I mean, obviously, we can't ask for reality in these things because mm, as, no. as I How as we come here, as I pointed out uh, when the, um, the Screen Five trailer came out this morning, that I am shocked that Dewey isn't just hobbling around in a in a, in a walker on permanent disability at this point. Right. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: Uh. I mean, sh- she should not be. You, if she wakes up at all, she should not be waking up like twenty seconds later. Yeah.
0: I think I think her brain should be melting out through her nose. But again, this we like to shoot our scream villains, and so she gets up and she gets shot through the heart. And I think uh, as far as um, as far as endings, this is the most added to it by Aaron Krueger, a person who uh, is often used uh, to fuck with scream movies. Uh, his greatest damage being reassembling Scream 3 into a hodgepodge of who the fuck knows. But this whole section here is the studio telling Aaron Kruger, you need to add this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that, especially to, you know, obviously we talk about how many injuries that she's sustained. Like she should not have been able to get up even before the defibrillator, but she's in the hospital and she's plugged in. They are absolutely pumping her ass with Dilaudid. She should not be able to see anything (laughs) at this point.
0: Unless she was like me at a county hospital where they took out uh, an organ I I didn't need. And then uh, they hooked me up with the morphine drip, but they didn't put the needle actually into my vein.
2: Oh no. (laughs) <laughs>
0: and so for, I, I woke up in recovery uh, and I kept clicking this, clicking it, clicking it, clicking it. And this was when my wife and I were first starting to date. And she goes, you keep hitting that button a lot. I'm like, yeah. And it doesn't fucking work. And she's like, oh, why is your bed all orange? Because the needle wasn't in my fucking arm. It was just dripping down into the mattress. My mattress was high as hell. I was going to say, your (laughs) mattress was flying though. Oh, my mattress was on a full psychotropic world, you know, shattering trip.
2: Fuck a magic carpet ride. Let's get on that hospital bed. (laughs) Seriously, if you just were
0: to suck that morphine into your mouth, you'd probably die. Uh, Yeah, they hooked it actually into the vein. I hit it once and I fell asleep and I woke up 12 hours later. Uh, I'm lightweight when it comes to morphine. Sorry, internet. <laughs> so that pretty much brings us to the end of a great film. But before we go, you know what we have to do, everyone. Let's play Choose Your Own Death Venture, where of the deaths presented in this section of the movie, if you were forced to die in one of those ways, well, which one would you choose and why? Up for bid in this section, we have a get bunked through a mail slot into the back of your spine. You got multiple stabbings while drunk. Uh, shot in the dick. Then shot in the head. Stabbed in the heart and gut. Uh, beat yourself up. Uh, and then stab yourself in the shoulder. You get electrocuted by a defibrillation. Defibula- ah, fuck. By defibrillation. <laughs> I still fucked it up. You get electrocuted by those paddles that shock you uh, when you have a heart attack. And then you finally get shot in the heart. Uh, and Sid's to blame. She, she gave love a-, a bad name. So... Uh, BJ, you are a guest, so
2: mm-hmm.
0: I choose you to go first.
2: I'm going to have to go with the Jill death because I'm very extra. And if I'm going to go out, <laughs> it needs to be that level of, of drama. Like I was sitting here thinking, I was like, well, you know, I've had a lot of major surgeries. I can't feel my guts. So if I got stabbed there, it would be a nice painless death. Mm-hmm. But no. That if I'm going to go out, I'm I'm going to go out swinging and do something absolutely ridiculous. So I'm going to go with Jill.
0: Okay. I think that that explanation works for me. Gina, what say you?
2: Um, you
1: know what? I think I'm going to take a stab through a mail slot, most okay. because that is a very lovely home. <laughs> I, I, I would not mind dying there. The
0: fine oak door like well craftsman yeah you know i
1: wouldn't mind your know, wind chimes being among the last things i hear that that's okay <laughs> that's that's peaceful i i will die no know, not knowing that that my my daughter is a horrible serial killer uh right. with a very strange idea what it takes to become famous. <laughs> um, and you know, as, as I always say, you know, when I choose these, deaths, it looks like, it seems like she goes pretty quickly. So yeah, you know, yeah, you know, once it, once you're, once you, you once you get something through your spine, it's lights out pretty fast. So that's, yeah. that's
0: how I'm going to go. yeah, No, no. I think that makes absolute sense. I think of any of these, what feels the most true is the multiple stabbings while drunk. Because, yes, I would probably be wearing a T-shirt as stupid as that stab T-shirt. 100%.
2: (laughs) Just a shirt that says, what are you going to do, stab me?
0: Yes, yes. I'd be wearing a stab T-shirt while getting stabbed. That seems very on brand for (laughs) what I bring to the table.
2: What if you got stabbed in your Kirby shirt? (laughs) How sad (laughs) would that be? I mean, it'd be really poetic, but. It would,
0: it would. You know, but, uh, you know, you'd, you'd really have to pick the day. But wilder things have happened in this world. We've all lived through them. Uh, but before we go, let's inform our audience what they can live through right now. And that is, BJ, where can people find you on on the Internet to read and hear more from you?
2: Sure, you can find me on all the socials from Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. It's just my name, at BJ Colangelo. And I also write at Slash Film and random places, especially in October, since I do write about horror. But I also co-host the podcast, This Ends at Prom, with my wife, Harmony, who is transgender. So we go through the canon of teen girl movies, since she missed all of them due to her socialization as a young, strapping teen boy. Um, So we look at, you know, cultural analysis, staying power, what kind of messaging they were feeding the masses. And since it's October, it's spooky season. So we're doing Ginger Snaps, Night of the Demons, Hellfest and the Disney Channel original movie,
0: Halloween (laughs) Town. Now, Halloween Town pretty much is the crown jewel of, of that set. Absolutely,
2: It it pretty much rules. Last year we did some heavy hitters. Like, I mean, we did the craft and we did Jennifer's body, but it's still very fun when we get to cross the streams a bit and do horror and teen stuff. People really liked the ginger snaps episode. They were like, wow, this is a really deep conversation about Columbine since that affected the movie. And I'm like, you know what? That's what we're here to do is to, to paint the full picture of what was going on when these movies came out.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely uh, endorse uh, the of Prom. I think it's a a fantastic uh, podcast. If if you love those films, and a lot of us do, uh, it is a wonderful cross section of influence and experience. And I think uh, you both are, you're obviously have chemistry with one another. You're married to one another, but uh, it is palpable on the show and everyone should check it out. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets?
1: I write about movies and television at the school.net. Some recent things I've covered. um, I've written at length about uh, Mike Flanagan's midnight mass uh, this by the time this airs, I will have reviewed um, uh, Halloween Kills, uh, the Velvet Underground documentary, and a true horror movie, uh, Netflix's Diana the Musical. So uh, <laughs> probably the most truly terrifying, gut wrenching thing I've watched all year so far um i've also truly visceral elsewhere uh including uh, daily grindhouse i did a little bit on damien the omen 2 and 10 cloverfield lane um and i am on twitter and instagram under gina does things that's g-e-n-a does things
0: do it today, people. Check it out. You can find us on all the socials. You know how to do that. Twitter, Facebook group. And we got an Instagram. We're uh, on Letterboxd. Uh, you know, we do things. Uh, Please join us on Patreon, where this month we have two things coming your way. Uh, We have an extended conversation of, believe it or not, the most horrible thing Gina and I have seen all month. Diana the musical. <laughs> and... <laughs> Where someone rises out of the fucking stage riding a horse pommel horse and his last name is rhymed with doing it. And uh, then at the end of the month, we're going to start what everyone wanted us to do with season three, but we refuse. We're going to talk about Halloween at the end of every single month. We're going to have a Halloween commentary for you to watch the film and listen to us uh, talk about it. And we'll get into all the nitty gritty, all of the films, all the way through and until it kills us. And it probably will. Uh, But that is our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. Please rate and review us on iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, Don't worry, folks. I I know you are, but believe me when I tell you, the body count will continue. So for myself, for BJ and for Gina, bye-bye, everybody.
2: Bye. I forgot to say bye.
0: You can. I haven't. Bye. There we go.